everyone. Welcome back to On Biblical Scholarship. My name is Eric Roseberry. I'm a pastor in Lafayette, Indiana, a New Testament PhD student at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Joining me today is Dr. Grace Emmett. Dr. Emmett currently serves as the Visiting Research Fellow at the Sheffield Institute for Interdisciplinary Biblical Studies. She's also one of the hosts of the Two Cities podcast. Dr. Emmett, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for hopping on. And maybe just to start, uh, our listeners may be curious to know, what does the Visiting Research Fellow at the Sheffield Institute uh, do? What are you currently working on? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm currently working on a project called Reimagining Paul Apostolic Portraits of Masculinity, uh, which is sort of born out of my doctoral research, which I'll probably talk a bit more about in a minute. Uh, and this is such a fun project because it's sort of uh, definitely at the intersection of church and academy, and it's got a public engagement facing angle. Um, and the core of it is really to commission some artwork that depicts the Apostle Paul in ways that we're maybe not so used to seeing him uh, and trying to facilitate a conversation around particular masculinity around that uh, and thinking about why we remember Paul in some ways and not others and what that does for our perception of him um but uh it's quite fun because as part of this conversation we'll uh reveal I'm sure I'm very interested in masculinity that's kind of one of my big research areas and um so I think technically the sort of full title of my fellowship is the Sir Henry Stevenson uh, research fellow and I've I always quite enjoy the sort of irony I suppose of um this being an endowment that has a a male name uh, and working on <laughs> working on masculinity yeah. um and uh, I think I'm only the second woman to to have this fellowship I have to double check that yeah. um but yes it feels fun to be part of that tradition to sort of be conscious of the ways that that intersects with the actual content of my research uh, so it's a, a slightly long answer to your question but that's that's what I'm doing anyway at Sheffield well and for those interested I think you've shared a lot recently on Twitter about the reimagining Paul project so if they find your Twitter I, I think you've posted a lot about that recently right Yes, I have. Yeah, there's um, a blog post that I wrote recently for the two cities, which talks a little bit about um, the heart of this project. Well, I think it's really exciting. Um, and I don't know when this is going to air, actually, but I'm currently in the process of commissioning an artist to work with on this project. Uh, the deadline for proposals is the 11th of March. So if this comes out before then uh, and you're a budding artist, do check out the details. If not, uh, stay tuned for details of the exhibition to come. <laughs> okay, that's great. I, I look forward to seeing what you come up with. And uh, well, maybe as we start this conversation, going back to the beginning of your journey in biblical studies what was it that first got you interested in biblical studies in the first place oh yeah that's a good question um I think I uh, I'd always really gravitated towards biblical studies, particularly my undergraduate was uh, theology. So it was quite broad. So a mixture of doing um, theology and then uh, biblical studies modules but had always gravitated more towards the biblical studies content, had loved learning languages and uh, just getting really absorbed in a text and getting lost in the detail of it. Um, so I sort of saw that through, uh, did my MA in biblical studies uh, with a focus on Hebrews in my um, thesis for that. Uh, took a couple of years out and then um yeah sort of circled back to to Paul's letters that I'd uh, spent a bit of time with as an undergraduate but not not so much in my MA so it's kind of gone on a little bit of a meander to come back to them um and uh I, I don't always have a very good answer really for thinking about how I hit on my um doctoral topic which I kind of should probably have worked up a better response to by now um I think I'd become conscious of the way that uh gender in the way that we sort of think about ourselves that the nature of that conversation was changing at quite a rapid pace in mainstream culture so I suppose I was interested given that Paul's letters have always had such a kind of key position within uh, debates about women in the church what roles they may or may not have um, was interested in terms of 
how Paul's letters might factor, factor into that changing nature of conversation and particularly what it meant to think about gender and not make that synonymous with women, but to think about gender more broadly. So that's sort of how I kind of came into it, I suppose. Uh, and then it evolved, as these things always do, um, over the course of actually studying as well. Sure. Can you think, early on, were there any particular scholars or books you ran across that really you saw as an example or particularly kind of fanned the flame of that interest in biblical studies for you? Yeah, I think it is interesting because I think my my work has changed quite a lot. And so I've probably gravitated in different directions, particularly as a result of my um, doctoral research than I had perhaps as an undergraduate. Um, But I'd always really admired the work of uh, Eddie Adams, who uh, became my um, primary supervisor and Joan Taylor. So I did my undergraduate MA and uh, PhD research all at the same institution at King's. Um, So I had kind of come to know both Eddie and Joan Taylor's work um, kind of quite early on as an undergraduate um, and Eddie particularly I think instilled in me a love of Paul's letters he's written lots on Paul and um, so I think just over the course of being there and spending so much time sort of under there um, or learning under them um, and then having the chance to kind of study with them in a more direct way with my PhD work uh, yeah I was really inspired by their by their scholarship um, and particularly the breadth of it um, and between the two of them sort of cover such a range of New Testament studies so a real privilege to work from them and, and learn from both of them. Yeah when you think about you hear kind of pros and cons of staying in one place for your undergrad up through doctoral studies, what were some of the benefits to you of being in one place for that entire progression of your theological mm. program? I think it, it, when I came back to doing my uh, doctoral work, so I'd had three or four years out in between finishing my master's and then coming back to do that. Um, there was already a sense to me of King's feeling like home. I think it, there's always yeah. something familiar about already knowing an institution Um but also having got to know Eddie and Jane quite well in the four years that I studied there before, uh, it was really wonderful to sort of start that academic relationship and already know a bit about them and sort of how they like to work. Um, so, yeah, definitely that felt like an advantage rather than trying to sort of suss out or oh, what's the supervisor relationship going to be like, even though that was quite different to how I'd interacted with them before. Um, but that felt like a real a real gift to already know them and have a bit of a relationship with them. So, um, yeah, that, that definitely felt like something I was grateful for starting on that journey. Yeah. As you began to work on your doctoral dissertation, I, I love to hear what are some things you learned as you worked on a project of that size and scope for the first time? These could be personal lessons, things about yourself, more research oriented things. Just what stuck with you from working on that project? Mm. Yeah, I think on a personal note, there was it was really eye opening for me just thinking about um how do I read text and what are the assumptions that I carry that I maybe I'm not always thinking about consciously otherwise. Um, and I think I had to interrogate that in a way with this, with my doctoral project than I, in a way that I hadn't had to do at quite such a sort of level before. Um, and I think that's, that's largely because I was really starting to engage with a, a wide range of theory that I hadn't kind of particularly touched in um, my sort of more, I, I sort of resist using the language of sort of standard and then, um, I guess kind of slightly different methodological approaches because I think even that binary is sort of a little bit unhelpful but um, I I guess engaging with scholarship that was much more conscious of the kind of social positioning that it was approaching a text from was quite eye-opening for me for actually doing the same for myself Um, and I think I just hadn't had to do that in quite such an engaged way previously. Um, So definitely the first few years was really interesting going on that journey and just thinking about 
yeah, what what is the way that I kind of tend to approach biblical text? Is that always helpful? Um, how can I sort of name some of that for myself uh, and perhaps try to broaden that perspective in a way that I've sort of not really thought about before? Um, that is distilling what was uh, definitely quite a kind of long and lengthy battle, <laughs> as I know many of us go through sort of as we start that process. Um, but yeah, I think it, it it definitely shaped me personally in ways that I kind of hadn't experienced before with other types of study. It felt like it was a much more... Um, holistic process I think I was I felt much more personally involved with it than I had done previously yeah when you think about your writing and research now and just how that's changed from doctoral student to today are there some practical ways that you've set up your life or kind of organized things to keep writing and research on the front burner or to make sure you're able to do as much as you can yeah, um, so I, I primarily work outside of academia, um, work for the Church of England uh, in a job that I really enjoy. And um, I, I work on this fellowship project sort of roughly one day a week, uh, which I started in October. Uh, but before I did that was also keeping roughly a day a week for keeping things ticking over. Um, and uh, w- was was fortunate that I could choose to do that to be able to work part time and keep some time aside for that. Um, and uh, I for some people, I think... Uh, research is such a love that they can kind of always do that in their spare time and I think I I do love it but not quite that much (laughs) so it's always felt like work and and work that I really enjoy but work nonetheless so I think think I was never going to be someone that um, would get to the weekend and think oh what I really can't wait to do now is write my SBL paper or whatever it is um so actually carving a carving time aside that was quite dedicated for that was always going to be necessary otherwise I'm definitely the sort of person that would just continually uh, put it off um so it's I feel very fortunate to be in the position that I am now where I've got this uh, post with Sheffield that kind of helps me to do that in a structured way um, while I'm also integrating that with other things in life um, so it helps me to keep that ticking over which is wonderful. Before we move on to some maybe more advice-specific questions for potential doctoral students, uh, I just wondered if you wanted to let everyone know about the Two Cities podcast for a minute. I've listened. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's an important oh, uh, podcast. Uh, yeah, did you want to let people know about that here for just a few seconds? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so the Two Cities, we uh, look at kind of a range of different topics, um, looking at the intersection between theology, culture, and discipleship. We're currently in the middle of a series on thinking about Christian anti-Judaism and the form that that takes um, in all sorts of ways, thinking about how that manifests itself in early Christian writings, for example, but also through to uh, modern day anti-Judaism um, and how that can kind of be prevalent in Christian discourse and ways that we might sort of work to, to combat that. Uh, but we've also had a long series on gender um and uh uh all sorts of other things um and um grateful for the guests that we have on have been doing that for probably just under 18 months now um so yes please do uh come and check us out a little cross podcast post but we're on yeah. spotify etc all the normal places yeah we'll link that in the show notes and like i said uh, i've really enjoyed it uh, everyone encourage everyone to go and check it out uh, there's oh, a lot you. of good work being done there. Uh, as we turn to maybe some advice for uh, current students, potential students, I'm sure from time to time you have someone come and ask, I'm thinking about doing a PhD. I don't know if it's for me. Do you have a few standard pieces of advice you give that person as they're trying to process that question? 
Yeah, I think, well, I know the kind of really standard piece of advice is um, it's it's a tough field. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's thinking about, you know, what do you want out of this? Because as we all know, uh, jobs are quite scarce. And um, I think I definitely started thinking, oh, this is definitely sort of what I'll do longer term. And that's that's kind of changed over the course of studying. Um, and uh, I see really talented friends who um, are very deserving of posts. And it just isn't kind of happening right now um, because there's just not the positions available, not because they're kind of not um more than well qualified um and so i think there's always a tension for people starting around um yeah what are you hoping for at the end of this because it, it probably needs to be something beyond a job or it needs to have value beyond that because um yeah as the situation is sad as that is um things are quite unstable at the moment um and uh, for me that's translated well into being able to kind of keep researching and doing that alongside other things um and I, that's a balance that works well for me but I, I know that we're all kind of approaching this from different um perspectives I think also I probably wasn't prepared at the beginning of my journey just how much of a personal investment I think it was going to take. And uh, I've talked a little bit about that already, but certainly by the end, I... um, I felt like it had taken quite a lot out of me. And uh, I don't say say that to kind of put other people off or to be overly negative about the PhD experience. And also that varies for everyone. So uh, my experience is not going to be other people's. Um, But uh, thinking about how to have a good community around you to sort of go through that process in a way that... um, I think it's hard for people to understand the experience of doing a PhD for people who are outside of that and the kind of intensity that that can um, require of you sometimes. And um, I feel really grateful that I sort of found quite a good cohort of friends of us who met digitally, really, sort of as a result of the pandemic, uh, but which was sort of very life giving and helped sustain me through the kind of final stages of writing up and submitting. Um, So definitely having that that sense of community and what can otherwise yeah can otherwise really depends sort of where you are in your own circumstances but can be quite an isolating experience working hard to build that community in um probably didn't realize the value of that until a little bit later on um but very grateful that that did emerge sort of towards the end uh, so i think that would be my other key piece of advice yeah that's helpful and during your own doctoral journey i'm assuming maybe there were a few times you thought why am I doing this? Do I want to keep doing this? What's the encouragement either you gave yourself or you give to others when they do hit that wall during their doctoral journey of maybe I just need to give this whole thing up? Oh, many times when I thought that, yeah. <laughs> That's encouraging <laughs> to hear. you're not so alone good. if you have that, yeah. <laughs> you have that feeling. Um, I think something that was quite helpful for me was realizing that I wasn't always the best judge of um, my work or my capability. Mm. I think as is often the case, we can tend to be quite hard on ourselves. And so that gets tricky in those times when you think, yeah, what, what is the point of this? And you can um, struggle to sort of see what the light is at the end of the tunnel for it. Um, and so I took a lot of comfort in uh, really trusting what other friends uh, said about my work and the potential they saw in me, I suppose. Um, and that came to sort of, uh that manifests itself sort of quite um explicitly I think when I was getting ready to do my viva and I just was thinking I just I sort of feel like I can't quite go through this was probably feeling quite exhausted by that point but it was at that point of just seeing all the gaps in my argument I suppose and really struggling to see the kind of broader picture for it so I wrote out a list of things that Uh, people have been kind enough to say about my work at various points over the years um, and stuck that on my wall. I've still got it there now, actually, even though this was well over a year ago now. Um, But just as this really lovely visual reminder that um, I'm not the only person with a perspective on my work or um, me as a scholar. And so sometimes needing to trust in 
in friends perspectives of me I suppose being able to fall back on that um and that I could actually rely on that that these are people that I really trusted and valued and knew that they weren't just saying things to sort of be polite uh but because they actually believe that to be true um and uh yeah so, so finding people that you can trust in that way and being able to rely on them when you can't quite rely on your own sense of self um and being able to do that for other people as well it's a real gift being able to encourage and champion them too so um yeah I guess it comes back to that sort of sense of developing community uh, and being able to, to sustain one another uh, through the challenges that uh, PhD research often throws up feels really key. Yeah, yeah. I love that. that that's really helpful to think about. I, I turn to my encouragement email a lot where I've kind of mm. stashed stuff from over the years to do that when I need it. But uh, you've mentioned uh, the relationship you've been able to, to build online a little bit and maybe the relationships you've been able to build with other scholars since uh, finishing your, your PhD. What advice do you have for the student who's uh, beginning to establish some of those relationships, but is kind of new in the field, just getting their feet set? How can they best network with someone in their field that they might want to research with other scholars who are pursuing similar things? What are some best practices there? Mm. Um, I mean, the sort of usual spaces like conferences, I think, are always valuable for that sort of thing. Um, But conscious that those are accessible to sort of different degrees depending on where you are and what your circumstances are um and I think we'll still be finding our rhythm for that a little bit in a I was going to say post-pandemic but very much mid-pandemic world um in terms of you know what do these things look like are they just online are they just in person are they in a hybrid format um and so the level of accessibility is going to vary sort of depending where you are geographically um and also kind of Uh, the finances around that Um, so I think conferences are great but definitely have a limited value to them so if you're at an institution where that community is there it's not there naturally rather uh, or feels quite fragmented um, I think I found real value really actually in just building some of those relationships online Twitter has been great as a sort of space for just connecting with other people and hearing about uh, other people's research you contacted me through Twitter very grateful for that um and uh Twitter's definitely got lots of downsides but um yeah I think being able to sort of uh make the most of that where possible um has been great and um have definitely connected with a lot of people and heard about lots of different pockets of research that I wouldn't have discovered otherwise so that's been really key for me I think in terms of forming some of those networks um so we definitely encourage people not to feel that pressure to have a kind of um kind of big exciting online persona but to just to try and use that where they can to find out what's happening in other ways and um yeah other people who might be able to go with you on that scholarly journey yeah since finishing your your dissertation and moving into this new stage of your your research career what are a few of the things you're focusing on early on to really uh, try and set the foundation or establish yourself within the field of biblical studies and for maybe the newly minted phd what do you think they should be focusing on in those first few years post dissertation Mm, that's a good question um yeah and I guess it it really depends what you sort of think your longer term goals are I think for me uh, this is probably not super helpful applicable advice but um maybe there's something in it I'll just start and we'll see (laughs) um I think for me I've sort of become increasingly interested in uh in the nature of how we do pool line studies um so uh, yeah, but my research, my doctoral research was looking at Paul's masculinity, how he presents himself in his letters, um, how that might be read through a lens of masculinity, thinking sort of particularly in the context of the ancient world. Um, and then my current project uh, with Sibs, which is building on that and thinking about a kind of public engagement focus, um, we'll also think about where does that come into contact with modern ideas of masculinity and what's the kind of relationship between those two. Um, but I think something I always felt uh, kind of throughout uh, doing that research was 
what is it that constitutes pure i'm sort of doing that with inverted commas which uh listeners won't be able to see but what is it that constitutes pure pool line study so i i often felt like to do pool and gender was sort of to do pool plus something else to have a kind of marked methodology uh and that in some ways that wasn't kind of pure or like proper um pool line studies um whereas to do a kind of more traditional uh pool line topic that that's pure or proper pool line studies um and I sort of just became really interested in that tension that I felt within myself about you know why do I kind of feel on the fringe sometimes in pool line spaces why does that feel like not a a proper enough pool line topic um what are those kind of invisible boundaries that seem to define what's in and what's on what's on the outside um and uh, I guess to to give an example, so I presented a paper at SBL last year, which was looking at a section of Romans 8 and the film First Reformed, which if you haven't seen it, do, because it's just a, a wonderful film. Um, so reading the two uh, together, thinking about um, eco-hermeneutics and climate justice and um, really uh, wonderful film. That I think it's got a lot to say for thinking about uh, passages of Romans 8 um and I I didn't even think about sending it to one of the kind of traditional pool line sections um because I was like well it's it's kind of doing too much that's mm, <laughs> outside yeah. of just reading the text using inverted commas there again um I just I don't think that's going to kind of work but but I, I really had a wrestle with myself about, but why is that and kind of why do we define things in particular ways um uh, why is it that I feel that tension because it is actually a paper about reading Paul's letters and kind of reading them differently um so in some ways it's sort of right at home there so I've got I think as my research has sort of grown I've got really interested in yeah how do we define sort of what's inside and outside and perhaps how can we blur those boundaries a little bit more um and try and sort of broaden the way that we talk about these categories um so I've also got quite interested in doing that metacritical thinking about our field and, and a lot of that could be broadened out to new testament studies generally but um i'd sort of do keep gravitating to to pool and pool on spaces for some reason um so i've been doing that uh, a bit of work thinking about uh, the british new testament conference the british new testament society in particular uh presented a paper last year thinking about the nature of the pool line studies seminar there and, and and who tends to present and how that's kind of changed over the years and compares and comparing that to other different um sessions that run at that conference and the ways in which Pauline studies is kind of maybe kind of behind the sort of general trajectory of other topics and and why is that why does Pauline studies seem to kind of emerge in a particular way compared to other um other topics and and is there something about that that's particularly off-putting to women actually um what is it about Paul that puts women off or um Pauline spaces um so it's sort of interesting how I guess thinking about gender in the text I've I've kind of come back a level to think about how how does the kind of gendered environment that we're in actually influence the text in the first place in terms of how we're reading it um and I've sort of done that in a quite niche way thinking about those academic contexts but I'm also really curious in the broader conversation happening particularly post me too I think in conversations about toxic masculinity and and how that shaping readings of biblical masculinities I think there's quite an interesting uh, trend that you can see actually over the last few years that I would sort of connect directly to some of those shifts in broader society um so I, I've just got quite fascinated I think in the broader dynamics at play that shape academic spaces shape academic readings of text um and uh, I don't know if that is at all useful advice to other people <laughs> in terms of thinking <laughs> about their own um sort of progression post PhD but I think I I sort of a, a refrain that I've got in my 
thesis is um, looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 11, where Paul talks about becoming a man. And I sort of went back a step and thought, what have I become through this process of doing this research? Mm. Um, and what do I want to become, I suppose? Kind of, I, I've reflected a lot on how I think Paul constructs himself through his text uh, but actually have I thought very much at how I've been constructed through this process and 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 what the contribution is that I want to make next I suppose so I think there's been quite a nice moment towards the end of allowing some of my research to try and shape me a bit or, or just to try and become more conscious I suppose of the ways that I think my research is shaping me um, and I hope that that's something that feels valuable more broadly because regardless of what we're working on we're so involved we're so entwined and we study our research for particular reasons um and I just think there's such value if we can kind of try and articulate why that is and how that's shaping us um fascinating to be able to connect that more broadly with why we're approaching particular texts in that way that's a very long-winded answer to your question but no, <laughs> that's really helpful something. yeah I think it's a question we just don't ask often how is our research mm. shaping us so no that's 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 really interesting and you brought up uh, a Pauline study so this is a very I guess uh, a basic question but I remember in my first doctoral seminar one of the first things they told me was don't write on Paul you're going to spend the rest of your life reading <laughs> secondary literature. It's just, yeah. and so of course that's what I ended up doing. But to maybe the, <laughs> the new Pauline scholar, they're, they're in their PhD program, just trying to get a handle on this field. Uh, what encouragement or advice do you have for, um, yeah, just trying to, to grab a handle on a field that just seems like it's producing so much constantly? Mm. Yeah, well, certainly you're not alone, I think, would be a key piece of advice yeah. of feeling the weight <laughs> of secondary literature on, on yeah. Paul because it is just phenomenal. And then, um, uh, as part of the research I did last year, thinking about um, the nature of the Pauline study seminar at the British New Testament conference, uh, I put out this very sort of informal poll on Twitter asking women, if you don't study Paul, are there reasons why you've been put off? And the, the results were just really fascinating. And one of the things that came up a couple of times was just the vast amount of secondary literature that um, even to sort of try and go into an area of Paul, you suddenly find yourself just weighed down by mountains of books. Um, and I think particular letters kind of really bear that burden. You know, I think about Romans and it's just like, oh, it, even yeah. sort of now, it, you know, it makes me kind of nervous <laughs> thinking about just the, the extent of scholarship that there is. So I think um, if you feel that way, don't be alarmed because I think everyone feels that way working within Paul. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it is slightly terrifying. Um, and I think just being able to have a certain amount of peace with that really because we all know we can't we can't read everything um but I hope I, I suppose I want to kind of get us to think about uh how we might do Pauline studies differently I guess and that would be one thing is to try and reduce that sense of pressure about I, I don't know all of the secondary literature yeah. um to reduce that sense of having these kind of mandatory things that we feel like we have to cover to be uh, a Pauline scholar um to kind of to broaden what that means a little bit um uh and so I think for me that's come in the form of yeah engaging things like masculinity studies engaging eco-hermeneutics engaging reception studies um and I guess trying to offer that back to more traditional Pauline spaces and, and hopefully convincingly say you know I think this is this is valuable and uh gonna use my vertical again proper work on Paul too yeah. um but it looks quite different to some of the things we might normally see kind of taking um 
taking shape in these spaces. Uh, but we need to kind of loosen our grip a little bit on um, on how we define pool line studies. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the takeaway is try not to be too alarmed. Um, and there's an opportunity yeah. to be creative within that because um, Paul is great. I do. I do love studying Paul as much as I um, <laughs> can complain about him, too. But, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of fun to be had there for sure. We always like to end on this, and you've answered this throughout your answers some, but as you think about the next three to five years, what are a few of the conversations you're most excited to be a part of? Um, just, yeah, where are you looking to make, I guess, uh, the contribution you want to make over the next handful of years? Mm. Well, I'm really excited to see where this project goes with um, SIBS. So um, the the kind of main output of this, as I said, is commissioning this artwork, which I'm hoping is going to exhibit a number of cathedrals um, in the UK and maybe some other public spaces. Um, And there's two reasons that I'm excited about that. One is the, um, I guess, the church facing public engagement facing aspect of that. So being able to translate some of my doctoral research and to, to host that conversation in a public forum that's it's an amazing um privilege to be able to do that and I'm excited to share some of my work with people in that space and also to have a conversation with whoever I end up working um with the artwork on and see their take on it to be shaped by that um so I'm really excited about that but also I think the um the reciprocity in, bring, in terms of bringing some of that work back into the academy so not just in terms of um oh this is the public engagement project that took place and um these are the sorts of responses that people had but also um i, I love larry kreitz's approach of reversing the hermeneutical flow so kind of using something like film or fiction or in this case artwork and then going back to biblical text and thinking how do we see it differently what does that illuminate for us um so i think there'll be some fascinating stuff that comes out of that um but also quite a lot of the work on biblical masculinities uh, comes from the states i'm really um excited to i hope make a contribution to that conversation from the uk um and think about you know what are the dynamics here that are different uh, how does that help us broaden these conversations a little bit um yeah what can that work offer that sort of broader work on masculinities that's happening so yeah lots of things that i'm kind of particularly excited about as outputs i hope of that project um and we'll see how that unfolds later this year well, we look forward to that. And Dr. Emmett, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, anything you want to plug or let people know about before we wrap up? I think I've probably plugged the main things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, keep an eye on the Reimagining Pool project um, as that develops and, and news about that later in the year. And uh, yeah, do come and give us a listen on the two cities as well. We'd be happy to have you. Yeah. Well, Dr. Emmett, thank you again. And thanks to all of you for listening to this latest episode of On Biblical Scholarship. Again, you can hear every episode on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Hit that subscribe button, rate and review the show. And we'll be back with a new episode next week. Thank you.